Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. And you know, one of the joys I had when I went to the youth gathering down in Houston, it truly is worldwide. We talked to people from other countries. We talked to people across the nation, even someone from Hawaii who said they are a regular listener of, of Thy Strong Word, but also the rest of KFUO. So I just wanted to highlight today that when we say worldwide KFUO, we're not lying. We've met people face to face who listen and hear the word of God around the world. What a joy to be able to know that as we come together this Pentecost season, this Friday, July the 15th, and the, as the light of Jesus shines on us as we dig into Genesis chapter 34. It is something when you read this, it reminds us that one sin leads to another sin and leads to another sin. So it's a reminder for us all that, you know, uh, repentance. We all need to repent over those minor sins because they become greater sins. And also, what do we do when we have somebody else that we love that has been sinned against? How do we do that in a Christian way? How do we do that asking the Holy Spirit to help us? For all that, we will see how this happens in Scripture and maybe what we do or should not do. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word, we welcome back Pastor Keith Weiss, Wise excuse me, of Shepherd Lutheran Communities in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. Pastor Wise, happy Pentecost and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thank you. It's a pleasure and a blessing to be here. Wonderful. So, Pastor, tell us what's going on for you and the and and at Good Shepherd. Well, things at Good Shepherd are gradually returning to normal. Being a healthcare facility, we've still got quite a few COVID restrictions, but those are beginning to loosen up. All of our residents and staff can now worship together and do Bible study together and have activities together, which is a big leap for us. Um, and things are going very well. So thank you for asking. I appreciate that. It's a reminder for us uh, to pray for those who work in the institutional settings, especially in a, uh, how would you describe it, Pastor? I don't want to say it incorrectly. What would, you, what would you define Good Shepherd to be from the beginning to end? Apartments and nursing care, what would you call all of that? Um, you, sometimes it's called a continuing care facility or um, a, a, a lifetime facility or a enri life enrichment neighborhood. Yeah, there's tons of different names, but basically Good Shepherd runs the gamut from independent market rate apartments to um, subsidized housing apartments to assisted living, all the way up to 24-hour nursing care, as well as offering home care and services to people in a 40-mile radius from Good Shepherd. So uh, that's who we are, as well as the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd, a congregation of the Missouri Synod, uh, worships sure. in our chapel. So it's a sprawling organization in every sense of the word, physically, spiritually, <laughs> and with its reach to people. But that's a good thing because it's a blessing to lots of folks. 
Absolutely. So a reminder too, I think I'll just say it this way for simplicity's sake, because it is quite complex, which is why we pray for our pastors who serve in institutional settings, especially uh, care facilities such as Good Shepherd. Um, that is right next door to where our family lives, where I served for 12 years at Messiah Sartell. And what a blessing it was to know that when um, one of our members would would go into to, uh, that setting that they would receive word and sacrament and to do everything they possibly could to care for souls. So, so pastor, as we are here in that in that sake of care of souls, we realize that you know what? Guess what? They needed to care the care of souls even in the Old Testament. <laughs> so today, as we oh, look at Genesis, could, it's the I truth. Want- oh. I just want to interrupt you and say thank you, because um, you you chose to have me discuss the one chapter in the Bible that has rape, pillage, plunder, lying, deceit, and everything else, forced physical abuse. Um, if there's If we can talk about another chapter that has more sin, let me know. But I, I just wanted to thank you for giving me this one. Man alive. In all seriousness, no, you're right. One sin leads to another, and uh, it's awful. And that's why, um, well, that's what we need to pray. So, Pastor, can you begin our time in prayer? Certainly. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious Heavenly Father, today you hold up before us your word in Genesis chapter 34. May it be a mirror for each of us that we not point the finger at others, but look down deep in our own souls and find our sin there. May it bring us to repentance, and may the blood of Christ wash us clean, make us new, and sanctify us in your sight. And then by your Holy Spirit, Lord, through these words, Help us to see what not to do in life and to recall the blessings you provide for your people in walking in your way and service to you in heartfelt faith, repentance, trust, and humility. Bless all who serve in ministry in your church, whether in congregational settings or institutional settings. Bless all listening to this program today, and bless Reverend Finnan and me that we may rightly interpret your word for the world to hear. All this we pray through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. Amen. Reminder to your listeners, if you have any questions on this text, uh, give us a give us an email. Send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, or call us, 314-821-0850, 314-821-0850. Now, Pastor, I think it's very appropriate for us just to start going a little section at a time and to keep this, I guess, moniker the whole time that uh, two things. Number one, one sin leads to another. And two, that forgiveness of sins is always needed. And like Pastor said so well in his prayer, or pray we gave to the Lord, sanctify us, which is the the they understand that God through His gifts of word and sacrament uh, sanctifies us to live a good and holy life. So, Pastor, I just want to read 
the first few verses as we get into this and get some of your first thoughts. So we are reading from Genesis 34, verses 1 through 4, as we dig in, and once again, we look to the Lord's mercy. Verse 34, and chapter 34. Which translation are you using? I'm sorry, I'm using the English Standard Version. Okay, um, I'm reading from the English Heritage Version. Got it. The Evangelical yep. Heritage Version, thank you. So just uh, so people know what, you know, like, mine doesn't say that. Well, All right. well different there. versions helps give us a bigger <laughs> picture. Okay, go ahead. Thanks. Well, very good. So we'll start with ESV, and then we'll go from there. So let's begin. Hear the Word of God. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamar, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Pastor, before I hear your first thoughts, I do remind you, our listeners, that, that this is it can be a very sensitive subject. And so we are speaking about this. First of all, if there's any any you know child or whatever it might be within earshot, that to be to, your advisory is 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 there for you to do what's appropriate. At the same time, we we want to make sure that we are being very um, being very real on the, the real issues that are out there then and also today being very real of understanding of that we are not endorsing anything. What is in scripture is not a prescription, it's a description of what happened in the past and also to call out sin where it needs to be called out in the appropriate way. So pastor, we come to chapter 34. And so how do we, uh, how do you want to start us off? Because it starts in a very dark place. And so how do you want to start us off today? Well, I want to start off by saying that one, you have done a great deal of setting this up for folks, um, because it, people who think the Bible is, you know, fairy tales told by Jewish grandmothers to their kids, um, I, my grandma never told me stories like this. So, um, right, right. yeah, no, this is real life stuff. So, big picture context: the chapter before thirty-three, Jacob and Esau meet and reconcile after Jacob has wronged him, and that's kind of been brewing for a long time. Chapter after this in 35, interestingly enough, um, God has Jacob move from the place. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel, and it's almost like God puts Jacob in a witness protection program, so he's no longer a stench to the land around him, jumping to the very end. But um, that's, those, that's what happens around this. So I wanted to put a little context on it. But that dark place where we begin is, yeah, it's a horrible place. Um, there are no good guys in Genesis chapter 34, okay? Um, everybody's a liar. Jacob's a known liar. Um, he stole his birthright from his brother. He stole his father's blessing that rightly belonged to his brother earlier in Genesis. Um, his sons lie to Hamor and Shechem. Hey, just get circumcised. It'll all be okay. Well, they've got ulterior motives in that. Um, 
Hamor and Shechem lie to Jacob, tell Jacob and the family one story, you know, be, we'll become like you, we'll be one of your people, tells their people another story, hey, get circumcised and we get all their stuff eventually, you know. So what's it say about these people that um, Shechem, a known rapist and liar, is the most honorable among the princes of the land. Okay? There aren't any good guys. So we're not going to pick somebody and say, oh, well, this person is, they, well, they did good in the eyes. Of, well, they didn't. And we're not going to defend what anybody did because it's not here for us to defend. It's for us to see exactly how you brought us here. One sin leads to another. I had formulated that same thought in my mind as, um, you know, if you ever needed proof that original sin exists and brings actual sin to fruit in lives of folks, read Genesis 34. Because you can trace it all the way back to Adam and Eve in chapter 3 of Genesis. And we're, we won't do that here because we don't have time. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it's one sin leads to another. And what we don't see in any of these people, at least in chapter 34, is any real repentance. There's no humility before other people or before God. There's no trying to be godly. Um, it's all just they're living a good practical life. You know, they're making the best of a bad situation. They're just doing everything they can. Well, everything they can is still sinful, broken, and God-awful. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's why we, we, we want to keep it simple while saying a lot of Lord have mercies as we read this Amen. and study this. Because it's something where... For example, in the St. Cloud area, there are um, women who have gone through abuse situations that they have a home, um, Terabith Refuge, uh, those who have right. gone through the horrors of sexual trafficking. And, and this is very much so one of the ways that God has, has brought people to be able to care for individuals in these situations. At the same time, it's, it's something where we pray, and I encourage you, our listeners, to pray that that God and His holy angels would prevent these things as well. No, we 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 don't we fully admit that these things happen. We 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 call the repentance, and also we pray to the Lord to keep us keep us from temptation, and also to keep others from the horror that happens in the situation where there really there never really seems to be a situation in this chapter. And you know what? In the real world too, where some they're not repentant. There's no repentance there. There's they're they're not even necessarily covering up sin very well. They just kind of like, well, you know, I'll just get married to her. Everything's good then, right? And it's like, oh my gosh, this is not. <laughs> we are we're beyond that, you know. Yeah, and hey, so absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so so go ahead, keep and going. and one thing we want to make sure that we say too is, um, in chapter thirty four, the one the only person who never says a word, so we can't call her a liar. And the only person who holds her peace throughout the entire thing that reads like a Shakespearean tragedy, there's no happy ending here. The only person who holds her peace 
is Dinah, the one who is wronged. And so there's, I'm not saying she's a great model and everybody who's wrong should just shut up and keep their mouth closed about it. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying her reaction is different than how everyone else reacts. Yeah. We're not blaming Dinah. We're not victim blaming. We're not victim shaming. She's the victim here. Mm-hmm. So we want to keep that in mind, too. So let's keep reading forward. We, we have the very basics down. This is Jacob's daughter. Um, there was a rape situation. And, and, and Shechem speaks to his father. And we haven't heard of anything else to this point. So let's keep moving right. forward. Verse 5. Okay. Go ahead. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. Pastor, you are a, you're a father of daughters, and I'm a father of three daughters. Um, the the emotion and the anger, um, and I'm a, I'm a brother to a sister, uh, the emotion and the feelings of all of this, it's one of the one of the one of the very real things in this too is scripture does not at all endorse it as if like well that's okay as long as you get married or something it says right there for such a thing must not be done so i reflect on two things one the emotion in the room and and the anger that they would feel and the anger that you and i would feel as fathers at the same time then the brothers are involved and so i can't even imagine that moment where all this has come together they're all together and what do you do is, is such a very, oh, very difficult thing. What are your thoughts? Uh, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is uh, I, I'm not sure I could be like Jacob and hold my mouth till everybody came home and oh, keep my yeah. peace. You know, um, I'm not sure I could even do that. Um, as a father of daughters, yes, I would. I, I can't imagine the just emotional turmoil. And as a man, and you know, not as a woman, I can't imagine Dinah's emotional turmoil right, at this right. point. But um, we can't forget her. You know, it, it, we have to keep her in front here. She's the victim. She Shechem's so-called desire better lust, better, you know, whatever it is, her, his violence toward her, um, that, that's what causes all this. So my, the first thing is yeah, the emotions are going to run the gamut, you know, just like you'd be mad if your daughter, your sister, your mom, your whatever, female relation close to you, uh, a, a female friend had this happen. Because it's wrong. That's why it cuts us down to the guts. You know? If it was okay, well, then nobody would care. You wouldn't be bothered. But it's not okay. And that's what you said. The Bible says, it's what God says, such a thing should not be done. And now, the understatement of the day so far, but yeah, it does make it clear, right? So 
that that's the emotional part. Um, anger. That's one of the emotions. And honestly, anger is going to come and anger is going to go, but it's going to ride along that just crisis roller coaster that this chapter is along with um, frustration, along with deception, along with that running narrative in your mind, if I could get my hands on him, um, those kind of things. It's going to ride that roller coaster along with other all the other emotions. So our emotions are affected when tragic things and awful things happen to us or to people we love. But we have to remember that just like our physical bodies, our emotions are fallen into sin as well. Yeah, they're real. Don't deny them. And sometimes you can't even control them. But sometimes you can control your actions. And see, that's that's one of the things where the... New Testament and the gospel, especially where Jesus has the answer to all this anger, frustration, deceit, murder, rape, pillage, plunder, all of that. Hmm. And it's not a simple answer. It involves blessing marriage that is properly done. Referencing back to Genesis chapters 1 through 4, it involves forgiving people involved in sexual sin and saying, go and sin no more. It involves taking that sin all the way to the cross. So there's no simple, oh, it'll be okay. A man dies to forgive these sins. Jesus God dies to forgive these sins. That's no simple answer. How it's all related is even more complex. But the easy, we want to keep this not, you know, so you don't have to have a degree in biblical studies. But the main thing to remember here is that the only thing that could ever make any of this stuff right again or make these people right again it's not going to be a huge bride price. It's not going to be the fact that you marry them off after something horrible has happened and sin has occurred. It's not going to be the fact that you get your revenge when somebody does something horrible to you or your family. Nothing we can do is going to make somebody else's sin right or make us better in the long run. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus dying does that. And it's hard for someone to accept that, you know, I can't get my revenge. Well, no, you can't. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, you know, turn the other cheek. Why not rather be the one who's wrong? Why not help the man who wants to steal your coat by giving him the rest of your clothes, too? And so on and so forth. So and it's, it's not easy. Oh, but it's the terrible. emotions can't rule the day. Jesus must. 
not going. Oh, that's good. That's good. And it's a, it's a reminder for us that <clears throat> this is why it's very important for us to understand the distinction of the the church, faith, and also the role of government is because when you have something along these lines, we we know that there's forgiveness. We know that there's called out repentance. And like you said, Jesus has to rule the day. Um, but, but there is a reality in this, in our culture especially, that there is order to be done. There is a punishment for doing against the law, which is why it's a good reminder for me to pray for our justice system, because like your pastor said so well, that a true justice would be that somehow that this man would be abused in the same way. That's, you know, like if someone murders somebody, they're like, well, then they should be murdered. And like, well, what do you do with someone like Osama bin Laden, you know, who, who killed thousands of people? Like we can't kill him and then bring him back and then kill him a thousand kill times. Him just, right. You can't do that. You know, in the same situation here, this is probably not Shechem's first rodeo, you know, that kind of reality. Mm-hmm. And so, so we, we look at, you're probably right. Yeah. And so we look at that and what is true justice? Well, you know what? That's what we have to look to the cross. And also there's proper channels of order that we have in our government. And so we have to allow that process to go through. We can't let emotions rule the day. Um, we, we, we fix our eyes on Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12. And, and we ask for just to restrain us, to be honest, because the sin will lead to other sins. And then nobody wins. Nobody has peace. Nobody has any of that, which is why Jesus has to rule the day. Pastor, we have about a minute left before our break. Um, okay. Other thoughts before we take that break? I, I just want to say amen to all of that and add that, yes, what I've said doesn't mean we should not seek worldly justice in the godly ordained government and justice system which um, God has given us. We should. But you shouldn't be a vigilante and get revenge on your own. And that's a very difficult thing sometimes. But I'm referring to Romans chapter 13, um, and we've been referring to, was it Acts 5, we must obey God rather than man. And within the proper limits for the government, we must trust them to take meet out worldly justice and in all things, turn to Christ. He's our comfort. He's our peace. And only he can make things right. Well, right now we're going to continue this as we pray for God's light to be upon us as we are studying Genesis chapter 34 with Pastor Keith Wise. And we will be right back. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. 
And welcome back. We are studying Genesis chapter 34 with Pastor Keith Wise of Good Shepherd Lutheran Communities in Sock Rapids, Minnesota. Pastor, we have to keep moving forward in the text. We are at verse 8, and we'll read through verse 12. Once again, we're at that point where the brothers and, the, and, and Jacob and also Hamar, who is the, the father of Shechem, are together, which... Well, I pray that you, our listeners, and me and Pastor Wise will never have to be in a situation like this, but we continue to hear the word of God. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father, And to her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me as great a bride price and the gift to you as will, as you will, and I'll give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. Well, Pastor, there's there's an attempt to justify himself, themselves, and there's a big price. Um, Your thoughts? Well, attempt to justify. Um, you know, I, I I only did this because I love her so much. Really? That's how you treat the people you love? I'd hate to see how you treat the people you don't like. Um, and it's classic, um, let's make this right by us, like, offering you a something in kind we'll we'll pay with money for our mistake but we still want to keep doing our mistake you know it's one sin compounding itself with another one and another one and another one and it cheapens Dinah as a person it cheapens her dignity it cheapens her her suffering and her <sighs> suffering is the only word I can think of. Just yeah. downright absolute being treated as chattel here to be bought. And yeah, no good guys. You know, it's one sin no leads guys. to another. If I can buy my way out of this, I will. But when's the last time you bought your way out of a sin? Yeah, mm-hmm. me neither. It, it, we, we think we think it will work, and and according to they will they will like this. You know, uh, any land, it's yours. Uh, property, yours. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm, I'm assuming that there's a the brothers will my family will work for your family. The the the, the price for her, just let us know how much how many camels you need. All these things, it just it sounds like this is going to be pleasing to the ears, to the the heart, and everything will be fine. Just just tell me the price. And the reality that there is no price. I mean, there just is no price. Well, and he's lying anyway. Because if we lying, skip yeah. ahead yeah. to verse 23, what he tells his own people after he's back home is, yeah, the, the, agree to be circumcised to give away a, a little bit that's coming here. Because won't all their livestock, all their possession, all their animals become ours? Won't we take over them and then we'll have more stuff and more land? So what? I had to pay $2 million. This is a $40 million deal. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's 
he's really being deceptive here in his so-called humility before Jacob, um, because his son really does love this girl. Yeah, hogwash. He doesn't. He's just trying to keep some semblance of peace here so that, you know, violence, more violence doesn't break out. But he's going about it the completely wrong way. And a second thing this brings up to me is the the sanctity and holiness of marriage as God intends it to be. Mm-hmm. Marriage is not uh, a Band-Aid. You stick on top of a horrible wrong that has caused unspeakable injury physically and emotionally and spiritually. Marriage is not a Band-Aid. You can put on top of that, and it makes everything okay. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. The way God has set up marriage is first, he blesses the man and the woman, and then sexual relations take place between them in joy and because it's fun, let's face it, and because God has said after his blessing, be fruitful and multiply. That's how it is in Genesis 1 with Adam and Eve. First he blesses them, marries them, then he says, be fruitful and multiply. It's the same thing in Genesis chapter 2. He we get the details of that creation, and it's not till chapter 4 that they have sexual relations with one another, and Adam and Eve begin to have children. But, hey, guess what happens? In the meantime, they've fallen into sin, and that sin has lasting consequences. Their firstborn, Cain, kills their secondborn, Abel, out in the field because he's jealous. Murder. Okay, And here, there, Hamor and Shechem play the part of thinking, well, a marriage is going to make this sin better. No, it's not, mm. because you've done it the wrong way, man. You've raped this girl. Putting Band-Aid on as a marriage isn't going to fix it. So when you mess with, it's really an order of creation issue as well as a sin in all capital letters issue. When you mess with the way God has created us to be married and to be fruitful and multiply, first he blesses the union, union, the marriage, and then the be fruitful and multiply action takes place. When you mess with that order of things, you, your children, their children face the consequences. And it puts that part of the Ten Commandments in perspective. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children to the third and fourth generations of the fathers of them that do not love me. Well, because that's how sin works. Runs in the blood. And you and I suffer the consequences of our elders and our particularly our parents' sin, who suffered consequences of their parents and their generation before them sin, and so on and so forth, all the way back. So we shouldn't be shocked by this event. I'm not that we should be horrified by it, but we shouldn't be shocked. And when the horrible events happen in our own day, well, guess what? We're suffering the consequences of the sin that our fathers 
mothers, grandmothers, grandfathers, all the way back have done, as well as our own sin. That's not an excuse to say, well, you know, I, God made me this way. No, he didn't make you this way. The devil had you choose to be this way. It's, so it's not an excuse. But the idea that God has set up marriage to work in a certain way is a blessing. It's not a band-aid to cover up going against God and doing things another way. Well, much much repentance to be uh, to be to be called out in this as well. Like you said, there's abuse. There's there's uh, there's a, this is an example of what I would consider to be righteous anger by the by the Holy Spirit. You know that these brothers and and father would have had. Um, But that righteous anger quickly turns to something that is not righteous. Um, And that's and that's that's the other aspect to this that we have to keep in mind as well, that uh, I can't I mean, I can't imagine the feelings you have when someone's offering you all these things. And you're like, okay, do you rethink this is about money? Do you rethink about I'm really worried about my daughter being married? Um, This is I'm going through all the list of my own thoughts. But but my what would I say? What would I do? Of course, I have no idea what I would do, which is why you pray that the Lord will give you the right words, the peace that we need. Not peace that I can go relax on my couch and watch TV all night or something, but the kind of peace that I am holding back from the unrighteous anger that I would want to exert on on people. And in, 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 in some ways, understanding where they're coming from, where they want to cover this up in a certain sense, because it is so shameful. So all of these emotions are coming in. All of the sin is coming into all of this. And we should not be surprised that these things do happen. Yes, but we are appalled that they are happening because it is just that dark. Pat, any other thoughts before we move on? Um, I would just say, I, I, I don't know what your plan is, but just for the sake of doing it, how about you just read to the end? Um, because, you know, this isn't one of those chapters you pick apart a word at a time. No, it's really no, exactly big picture right. things. Um, so just so if someone is listening in their car or listening for the first time, don't, don't have a Bible handy. If you would, please just read us through to the end of the chapter and then we'll do our commentary and that we can refer back to pieces if we need to. That's a very good idea. See, Pastor Wise is very wise. Here we go. Verse 13, verse 13. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamar deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. He said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to you who is uncircumcised for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give you our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves. And we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamar and Hamar's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he had delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamar and the son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. 
only in the condition that the men will agree to dwell with us to become one people when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamor and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of his sons, Jacob, Simeon, the Levi, and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came out against the city while it fell secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem and the sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came up upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. And all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives and all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if I gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? Pastor, there's, I feel like I'm on a roller coaster in this because first you hear kind of an agreement and you're like, what? And then you hear of, uh, there's a little tinge in me and I have to fully admit it where you kind of have a little bit of one to a fist bump because there they are and they destroyed all those just horrible men. Um, but yet they destroyed all the men, not one it wasn't just check them. It was all the males. So you have that dynamic. So they were deceived. And at the very end, you're left with a question. So Jacob says, well, you brought shame upon me. And then at the end, they're like, but should we allow people to treat our sister like a prostitute? And then there's a little bit of, yeah, they're right. But then you're like, but none of this is right. Where do you begin? How do you unpack this pastor? Well, I don't, there's no good place to begin, so you just pick a spot, I think. And, and yeah. the spot that really stands out to me in this second half of chapter 34 is uh, that turning point, that third day after all these men have been circumcised. And, and the men listening will um, at least be able to imagine the soreness of the men. Um so they had them get circumcised so that they'd be weakened and less able to defend themselves. They have taken a holy thing given them to, by God to mark them as chosen people and used it as a weapon against their enemies to get revenge. There's another sin for you. And that sin leads Simeon and Levi, you know, when you read this whole thing, what it sounds like is Simeon and Levi go kill Hamor and Shechem and rescue Dinah, who's apparently been taken to live in their house. And then the rest of the brothers come and join them in killing the rest of the town and taking captive the women and kids and looting and plundering and destroying all their things and bringing them all over into uh, Jacob's household. Um, or, you know, looking at the, both the Hebrew Old Testament, the, the Greek version, the Septuagint, between the two of them, that kind of seems what probably likely happened. Or the way the, these translations read it, and perhaps Simeon 
and Levi did themselves kill all the males. Um, But regardless of which way you look at that, the truth is all of Jacob's sons are guilty because what at the end, Jacob's sons then came to the dead bodies and looted the city and et cetera, et cetera. None of them are innocent. And don't and, and Jacob, I don't know. He just he seems to kind of be purposefully in the dark sometimes. How many sons have you got? What's been going on? And you don't notice when two of them leave, and then they all leave, and then all these people come showing up. Hmm? You didn't you didn't have a chance to stop them. This, it looks like a sin of omission here. He should have said something earlier because. It's true. Yeah, he's brought a stench upon him. They brought a stench upon the family in the place. They ruined the reputation of them. But they're also right in that Shechem ruined not just the reputation, but the holiness, the cleanliness, and the sanctity of Dinah as a person and as a woman before God and man. There's no good here. That's why there's no good place to start. There's just bad places to start. So the 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 thing is this is what real life looks like. And all the pastors listening who've been a pastor for more than a year know that this is what real life looks like. Leave it to Beaver is fiction. The perfect family that solves all their problems in 30 minutes every week is fiction. Real families in real life sometimes look like tragedy followed by crisis, followed by deceit, followed by murder, followed by sorrow, followed by suffering, followed by tragedy. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of of death. Amen. This is what it looks like. So the sons of Jacob, the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel. That's who we're talking about. Mm -hmm. They go and basically commit what we would today call genocide. They completely destroy this people whom Shechem and Hamor and his family are the the chief or the small town king or the city-state king, whatever you want to call them, are the rulers of, and they don't exist anymore. Does that injustice make Dinah pure before God? No. And as a victim of Shechem's sin, she's impure and defiled and humiliated. That's why sexual sin in an earthly sense is worse than other sin. You know, you hear all the time, a sin's a sin's a sin. If you break one sin, you break them all, and they're not better, and some are not worse, yada, yada, yada. But that's not exactly true, at least in an earthly sense, because um, St. Paul, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is sort of a gold mine for helping us understand today. So if you have your Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 we have in verse 7b, starting at why not, um, why not rather be wronged, why not rather be defrauded? Instead, you yourselves do the wronging and defrauding, and you do it to your brothers. Now, the context here is suing one another, but 
Watch what St. Paul does in verse 9 as we continue. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral. The rapists who try to cover up their rape by marrying their victim are sexually immoral. Mm -hmm. People who mess with the order that God has created for marriage and then sexual relations and then children who are a blessing are sexually immoral. People who have thoughts about sexual acts with people to whom they are not married are sexually immoral. Have I covered everybody listening yet? Yeah, I hope so. So what we can't do is sit here and read Genesis 34 with a sense of superiority and think that would never happen. I would never react that way. I would never do that because guess what? There's a monster in all of you because there's a sin in all of us. So we don't look at it as a, hey, I'd never do that. We look at it as an opportunity for repentance for what we've already done and a prayer for the Holy Spirit to lead us in the ways of God that we don't fall into such sin and temptation. And then if we look at more of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the second half of verse 13, the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. God raised up the Lord and will raise us up by his power. You're going to rise up in the body you've got right now, glorified as it is. That body is part of your inherent being and identity before God and will be forever. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then remove the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For it says the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every sin that a person commits is outside his body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And not just his own physical body, but his own capital B body, the body of Christ on earth, the whole church. That's why sexual sins are worse. Because they don't just involve the person doing the sinning. The victims suffer the consequences like Dinah does in Genesis 34. She's perhaps the only person who's quote-unquote innocent in that chapter in the sense that she's not done any active sinning. Okay? But she's still impure. She's still defiled. She's still unclean before God. So that's why sexual sins are worse than other sins. You don't defile anybody if you steal a Snickers from the gas station. And I'm not condoning that. Don't steal a Snickers from the gas station. There's a commandment against that, too. (laughs) But in a sense of how all of this fits together, the sexual sin is worse than stealing the Snickers from the gas station. They both will earn you hell if you don't repent of them. But the consequences spread much further, much faster, and much worse 
to people for sexual sins, which is why I think, you know, we I have heard in the past that uh, certain pastors will not marry couples who are already living together, obviously have messed with the order of get married, then have sex. Um, some pastors say those people, you have to take them through confession and absolution and then marry them. You know what I think? I think we should take every prospective couple who's going with us through marriage preparation. I think all of them need to be taken through confession and absolution mm-hmm. to and from one another and together before God. Because guess what? Even if they aren't living together and aren't having sex with one another, I bet you a dollar at least one of them thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know? So... And Jesus, and Jesus speaks to that. You know, Jesus speaks about that. If you even look lustfully, that you have committed adultery. And absolutely. so to, to think that we don't need confession absolution in these situations is, is far-fetched. And as you said so well, it, it is so destructive. And the temptations always upon our click on the computer, uh, the look of an eye, the, the, the watching a simple movie is always within our grasp. Now, Pastor, we have about two minutes left. I want you to have your final thoughts and then kind of give us a, because I do have one little thing I want to share at the end, but I want you to, okay. uh, to two more minutes left. Okay. Here are my final thoughts. Uh, and again, it's a big picture issue. What Genesis chapter 34 teaches us is that all men, all women, all people, all babies, all old folks, and everybody in between, rich, poor, fat, skinny, healthy, sick, dying, and living their life to the full, we're all liars. There's only one person whose word we can trust all the time. And that person is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, the word of God, the eternally begotten son of the father, whose words uh, with an S on the end are given to us in the scriptures. That's word and words and the word you can trust. Now, can we be more trustworthy than we are now? Absolutely. The Spirit's working on that right now for all the baptized. And can we repent of our sins? Absolutely. We must. Do earthly band-aids cover up sin before God? No. Does a shotgun marriage make a pregnant teenage girl holy before God? No. What does? Jesus' blood covering her and her husband because they've repented of their sin. Jesus' death on the cross is the only thing that fixes sin. Jesus' resurrection is the only thing that fixes, quote-unquote, us and our propensity to sin and brings us back to the place where we can live forever in holiness, righteousness, unblemished, unspotted, to mix the catechism with Ephesians 5, before God. Hmm. So Jesus is the only person who's not a liar. Jesus is the only person who's not a potential rapist, murderer, pillager, plunder, deceiver, and so on and so forth. Trust in Jesus. Like this, the saying goes, trust in God, but lock your car. 
Hmm. Because one, don't don't be suspicious of your neighbors to the point that you build up a wall. But no, they suffer the same same things you do. St. Peter tells us in his, I believe it's his second letter, that you're not suffering any worse temptation than your brethren in the world. We all have to suffer that. So it gives us a perspective to look at our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in the church, and our neighbors outside of it, and know what they're tempted toward, what we're all po- what's all possible that we all might do, and to come with humility and love and patience and kindness and show them the truth and the rescue from that struggle, who is Jesus. End of discussion. There is no other answer. Pastor Keith Wise of Good Shepherd Lutheran Communities in Sock Rapids, Minnesota, giving us God's strong word from Genesis chapter 34. Pastor Wise, thank you for bringing us his gifts. Thank you, Reverend Fennern, Reverend President Fennern. I'm not sure what order those titles go in, but it's been a, <laughs> it's been a joy to uh, share and discuss God's word with you and for God's people today. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finnern, and a reminder to everybody, pray. Look up in your local areas, those places that work with women who have been abused, and also, as Pastor said, look to Christ. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.